Chapter 20 of Marjorie Dean, High School Junior by Pauline Lester. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ashley Jane. Chapter 20 Constance Points the Way. This is a nice state of affairs, scolded Jerry Macy. What do you suppose has happened, Marjorie? Overtaking her friend in the corridor on the way from recitation, Jerry's loud question cut the air like a verbal bombshell. Without waiting for a reply, she continued in a slightly lower key. Harriet has tonsillitis. Isn't that the worst you've ever heard? And only three days before the operetta, too. We can't give it until she gets well, unless somebody in the chorus can sing her role. I'm going to telephone Laurie after my next class is over and tell him about it. The chorus is our only hope. Some one of the girls may know the part fairly well. They all ought to after so much rehearsing last spring. Most of them can't do solo work, though. Do you think you could sing it? Jerry had drawn Marjorie to one side of the corridor as she rapidly related her bad news. Mercy, no! Marjorie registered dismay at the mere suggestion. I wouldn't dream of attempting it. Isn't it too bad that Harriet hasn't an understudy? I'm ever so sorry she's sick. How dreadfully disappointed she must be. Not any more so than half of Sanford will be when they hear the operetta's been postponed. Every reserved seat ticket's been sold. Who would have thought that Harriet would go and get tonsillitis? Mourned Jerry. There's a regular epidemic of it in Sanford. You know Nellie Simmons had it when the Softs wanted that basketball game postponed. Quite a number of Sanford High girls have had it too. Be careful you don't get it. Marjorie laughed. Oh, I won't. Don't worry. I'm never sick. We'll have to go, Jerry. There's the last bell. You had better touch wood. Jerry hurled this warning advice over one plump shoulder as she moved off. It brought a smile to Marjorie's lips. She was not in the least superstitious. She grew grave with the thought that the operetta would have to be postponed. At the first performance of The Rebellious Princess, Harriet had sung her part at a moment's notice. Until then she had been Mignon LaSalle's understudy. Struck by a sudden thought, Marjorie stopped short. Jerry had evidently forgotten that Mignon knew the role. Still, it would do no good to remind her of it, or Laurie either. She believed that Jerry, at least, would infinitely prefer that the operetta should never be given rather than allow Mignon to sing it. The mere mention of it was likely to make her cross. Marjorie decided to keep her own counsel. She had no reason to wish to see Mignon thus honoured, particularly after her treacherous attempt to do Constance out of her part. Then, too, there was the new grievance of the observer against her. By the time school was over for the day, Constance had already been acquainted with the dire news. Apart from her two chums, Jerry had told no one else except Hal and Laurie. When the three girls emerged from the school building, accompanied by Susan, Muriel and Irma, they saw the two young men waiting for them across the street. The latter three faithful satellites immediately took themselves off with much giggling advice to Jerry that four was a company but five a crowd. 
Jerry merely grinned amiably and refused to join them. She knew her own business. This is too bad, Jerry, were Laurie's first words. What are we to do? That's for you to say, shrugged Jerry. All I can think of to do is have a tryout of the chorus. If none of them can sing Harriet's part, we'll have to call it off. I mean, postpone it. Jerry cast a sly glance at Hal to see if he had noticed her polite amendment. What have you to say, Constance and Marjorie? queried Laurie. But the street is not the place for a consultation. Suppose we go down to Sergeant's to talk it over. I spoke to Professor Harmon this afternoon, but he said he'd rather leave it to me. He's busy just now with that new boy choir at the Episcopal Church. He wants me to direct the operetta. Voicing approval of this last, the three girls allowed their willing cavaliers to steer them towards Sergeant's hospitable doors. Hal, Marjorie and Jerry took the lead, leaving Constance and Laurie to follow. Nothing further relating to the problem that had risen was said until the five were seated at a rear table in the confectioner's smart little shop. Then Laurie abruptly took it up. We are ready for suggestions, he invited. I have one. There was a peculiar note of uncertainty in Constance's voice as she spoke. You are not going to be pleased with it, but it seems to me the only thing to do. More boldly, she added, let Mignon LaSalle sing the part. Never! burst from Laurie and Jerry simultaneously. The appearance of a white-coated youth to take their order halted the discussion for a moment. As he hurried away, Marjorie's soft voice was heard. I thought of that too, this morning. I had made up my mind not to speak of it. Connie makes me ashamed of myself. Connie is willing for Mignon to sing the part that she cheated herself of. I think we ought to be. In silence, Laurie stared at her across the table, his brows knitted in a deep frown. Then his gaze rested on Constance. You girls are queer, he said slowly. I don't understand you at all. I do, declared Jerry, far from pleased. I can't say I agree with them, though. If we ask Mignon to sing the part, I don't know who's going to ask her. She will parade around like a peacock. She may say no just for spite. She doesn't speak to any of us. Then she added in a milder tone, I suppose her father would dance a hornpipe if we let her sing it. I heard he felt terribly about the way she performed last spring. You know, he put off a business trip just to go hear her sing, and then she didn't. She had nobody but herself to blame, though. Unwittingly, Jerry had struck a responsive chord in Hal. Leaning forward, he said impulsively, Then I think I'd ask her, Laurie. Mr LaSalle is a fine man. His office is next to Dad's. I often go in there and talk to him. He is mighty interesting. He has travelled all over the world and knows how to tell about what he's seen. He's all wrapped up in Mignon. You can see that. I wish you'd ask her just on his account. It would pay up for last spring. Three against two, grumbled Jerry. And one of them my own brother. Do we stand our ground, Laurie, or do we not? Laurie did not answer immediately. 
he had not forgiven the French girl her transgression against Constance. The battery of earnest blue and brown eyes bent upon him proved fatal to his animosity. Our ground seems to be shaky, he answered. The majority generally rules. Then will you ask her? Constance flashed him a radiant smile that quite repaid him for his hinted decision in Mignon's favour. It will have to be you. She wouldn't do it for us. Laurie showed lively consternation. Oh, see here. Innate chivalry toward girlhood overtook him. All right, he answered. I'll ask her. In the midst of countless woes arising from her unwilling allegiance to Rowena Farnham, Mignon next day received the glorious invitation from a most studiedly polite young man. If any one other than Lawrence Armitage had come to her with the request, she would, in all probability, refuse point-blank to countenance the idea. Mignon still cherished her schoolgirl preference for the handsome young musician. She therefore assented to the proposal with only the merest show of reluctance. Laurie made it very plain, however, that Constance Stevens desired it. Inwardly, Mignon writhed with anger. Outwardly, she was a smiling image of amiability. Afterward, she experienced the deepest satisfaction in boasting to Rowena of the honour which had come to her. I think I'll be in the operetta too had been Rowena's calm decision. I'll go to Lawrence Armitage and tell him I shall sing in the choir. Straight away she went on this laudable errand only to be politely but firmly informed that there were no chorus vacancies. Over this she raged to Mignon, then consoled herself and dismayed the French girl by calmly announcing, I'm going to the theatre with you just the same and watch the silly operetta from behind the scenes. Let me know when you have your rehearsals, for I intend to go to them too. Resorting to craft, Mignon managed to attend the first rehearsal without Rowena. The latter discovered this and pounced upon her on her way home with a torrent of ungentle remarks. Bullied to tears, Mignon was obliged to allow Rowena to accompany her to the second and third rehearsals, the third being the last before the public performance. Though the cast secretly objected to this, they made no open manifestation of their disgust. It was now fairly well known how matters stood between Rowena and Mignon. The latter had no reason to complain of the universally civil treatment she received. It was merely civil, however, and contained no friendliness of spirit. By the entire cast, the French girl was regarded as an evil necessity. For that reason, they also reluctantly endured Rowena's presence. But Rowena derived no pleasure from her intrusion except the fact that she was a source of covert annoyance to all parties. Her jealous soul was filled with torment at being left out of the production. Shrewd intuition alone warned her not to create even the slightest disturbance. She had determined to go with the cast to Riverview. Consequently, she did not propose cutting off her nose to spite her face. The knowledge that the proceeds from the operetta were to be devoted to school use rallied the Sanfordites to the cause. The Sanford performances went off without a hitch before a huge and delighted assemblage. 
It may be set down to her credit that Mignon LaSalle sang the part of the proud stepsister even better than Harriet Delaney had rendered it. Her dramatic ability was considerable and her voice and temperament were eminently suited to her role. On this one occasion, her long-suffering parent was not disappointed in his daughter. Natural perspicacity caused him to wonder not a little how it had all come about and he made a mental note to inquire into it at the first opportunity. Strongly disapproving of the intimacy between Mignon and Rowena Farnham, he was hopeful that this honour done his daughter would throw her again among the finer type of the Sanford girls. From his young friend Hal Macy, he had received glowing descriptions of Marjorie and her close friends, and he longed to see Mignon take kindly to them. Could he have peeped into Mignon's subtle brain, his dreams would have vanished into thin air. Ever the ingrate, she was thankful to none for the unexpected chance to glitter. At heart, she was the same tigerish young person, ready to claw at a moment's notice. Within her lurked two permanent desires. One of them was to win the interest of Lawrence Armitage. The other, to be free of Rowena. End of chapter 20 Recording by Ashley Jane